Healthy Girl Kitchen. I am obsessed with Healthy Girl Kitchen. She's a vegan food blogger and health coach. I want to be her best friend. Invigorating conversations with leading experts. Danielle spends her days helping others improve their health. This is the Healthy Girl Podcast with your host, Danielle Keith. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Healthy Girl Podcast. I'm so excited for today's episode because we are talking to Hillary Duff's chiropractor. And I'm not kidding. We'll get into that a little bit later and I'll talk to you about who that is. But first, I just wanted to give you the health tip of the day, the cooking tip of the day, and also address something that was on my Instagram yesterday that I just wanted to talk about a little bit because I think it's super important. I shared some of my personal opinions about women's rights to my Instagram yesterday and I was called out by a follower for being unprofessional because I stood up for women's rights and expressed that in relation to abortion, women should be able to make decisions about their own bodies. If someone thinks that that's unprofessional, quote unquote, then call me unprofessional all day long. I would much rather stand up for women than stay silent. For those of you who didn't see my stories or if you did, I mentioned on my stories whether it's standing up for animals as a vegan, supporting the LGBT community as an ally, supporting black people in this time of crisis in our country, or being an advocate for women's rights. I will never apologize for standing up for what's right. And if that makes you want to unfollow me, please be my guest. I'm not forcing any of you to stay on my page or follow me on social media. However, I'm so thankful for the beautiful community that I've created, and I truly appreciate each and every one of you, all of my Healthy Girl Kitchen followers, like you are my family, you guys are so amazing, and to all of you who sent me kind messages yesterday in regards to what I posted, it truly made me smile so much, and for the few negative messages that I got, I got so many more positive messages and so many of you who were encouraging me and supporting me and sharing my thoughts and feelings. So I just wanted to address that because again, I thought it was super important. All right, let's get into the health tip and cooking tip of the day. These are always my favorite. So for my health tip, I want to talk about ginger. Ginger is amazing for your immune system. And honestly, right now, (laughs) with coronavirus still ever present, boosting your immune system is so important. And now that it's getting into the colder months and now that flu season is coming, you're going to want to do everything you can to boost your immune system. So ginger is amazing for that. It fights inflammation. It aids in healthy digestion. Add ginger to anything you can. Take a ginger supplement, season your veggies with ginger, make a yummy plant-based Asian sauce with ginger on it, or even drink ginger tea. I love having ginger tea with a little agave in it. I'm just gonna keep the immune tips coming every single week because we need it more than ever now. As for the cooking tip, if you have veggies in your fridge that you don't know what to do with, they're about to go bad and you wanna use them up, make a soup. Throw all of the veggies in a pot with veggie broth, add brown rice or lentils or pasta, and make a delicious hearty vegan soup. I've been obsessed with soup lately. If you follow me on Instagram, you know I've been on my soup game lately, posting a ton of soups on my feed and in my stories. I just make big batches at the beginning of the week and heat it up for lunch and dinner. It's the easiest thing ever. 
I have a new vegan minestrone soup on my website and also a copycat Panera broccoli cheddar soup that's dairy-free, vegan, super healthy. When I wasn't vegan, I used to go to Panera all the time and I'd always order the broccoli cheddar soup in a bread bowl. And that's just something I craved recently and I decided to make a vegan version of it. And I got a bread from Whole Foods. I scooped out the middle and made a full-on authentic Panera bread bowl. You have to try it. Both of them are amazing. And both of those recipes I just mentioned are at healthygirlkitchen.com. Our guest today is Dr. Elliot Berlin. He's an award-winning prenatal chiropractor, childbirth educator, and labor support body worker. His innovative techniques for prenatal wellness care address tight and painful muscles and tendons with specific massage-based soft tissue releases together with traditional chiropractic adjustments to restore motion to restricted joints. Dr. Berlin, a labor support doula who attends birth providing the laboring mother with body work such as massage, reflexology, acupuncture, counterpressure, and chiropractic adjustments to help keep mom relaxed, comfortable, and focused, and in ideal mind and body condition for a smooth, uncomplicated labor and delivery. Dr. Berlin attends labor at hospitals, home, and birthing centers, and can be instead or in addition to a traditional labor doula. As I mentioned before, he is Hillary Duff's chiropractor. He's kind of known as like the celebrity prenatal chiropractor in California. He is so kind, so smart, funny, and is a wealth of knowledge. I do not have kids yet, but I find this so incredibly fascinating. And I joked with him that when I'm pregnant someday, I'm going to fly to California just so that I can go see him because he is amazing and has really put such a unique touch and such a holistic focus on chiropractic work in relation to pregnant women. So if you are a mom, if you are planning on having more kids, if you plan on having kids someday in the future, you should definitely listen to this because he gives some insane tips, advice. He gives so much information. And we also talk about eating your placenta, which is such a huge trending topic right now. That's kind of controversial, but we definitely dive into all things. So without further ado, please welcome Dr. Elliot Berlin to the Healthy Girl Podcast. Hi, Dr. Berlin. Welcome to the Healthy Girl Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no, this is great. And it's so crazy that you're in California. I'm here. And, you know, ideally we could be in person doing this, but I'm really happy that we could connect. Thank you. Me too. Yeah, and you were telling me when we first connected that actually your daughter is now vegetarian or thinking about going vegetarian. How's that going? Yeah, she um, she did a paper. I'm not sure what started it for her, but she did a paper on slaughterhouses. Uh, she's 12, and uh, it was an English paper. I don't know how that topic came up for her, but in her research for, that she was doing to get information for her her composition. She uh, really, she's an animal lover. Uh, in general, she loves dogs and horses. She rides horses every week and she loves to go early and spend time with them and bond with them. Uh, and I think it just, uh, it struck a note to her. You know, I actually remember when my son, my oldest, was maybe four or five years old, probably five years old. We His friends did a uh, sort of a, a trout fishing party that was the birthday party. And so we went to these trout ponds that were fully stocked with trout. And we held a little bamboo rod there and waited for a trout to 
come on the rod and you pull it out, put it in a bucket and you just drop your bucket off at the office when you're going to have birthday cake. And when you come out, it's packaged just like the way it would be at the supermarket. So when we went to pick up his trout that he caught, he said, what is that? I said, that's your trout. He goes, no, that's the kind of, that's the kind of fishy that you eat. That's not the fishy that you play with. I'm like, "Uh Oh, (laughs) and so he didn't realize that, you know, they're one and the same. It got pretty quiet in the car as we were driving home, and I could just see him thinking. And eventually he said, Dad, is it the same with chicken? <laughs> and I was like, uh, yeah, it's the same with chicken. And I thought right then and there he was going to become a vegetarian. But uh, he he thought about it a little bit longer, and by the time we got home, he's like, how do we cook it? And so we grilled it and ate it. He, he did not become a vegetarian, but for my other daughter, my 12-year-old, she was profoundly affected by it. And so... Um, she hasn't, she hasn't eaten any meat or chicken since then. So your, uh, your recipes are coming in very handy for us. Oh, good. Have you tried any? Um, my wife is doing them with my daughter because uh, I, I came back to work to try to, you know, right now we're at the, hopefully the end of the pandemic and I'm trying to rebuild business, which is an uphill battle. So I'm not home as much as I'd like to be, but, um, but I, I sent my wife the link to your blog and she's enjoying it. Oh, I'm so glad. And I love creating fun recipes that are also like very kid friendly. So I'm really glad. And and that's amazing that, you know, she made that connection between writing a paper and learning about the animals. We grow up loving pets like our dogs and our our horses and, and cats. And then, you know, we're eating other animals. So it's interesting when young people, especially kids, like come to that conclusion and make that connection on their own. Yeah, that's kind of interesting to watch. Definitely. But I want to get into what you do best and and talk all about your work and and how you got into what you do now, because it's truly fascinating. Can you kind of take us back to the beginning about how you got into being a prenatal chiropractor? Uh, Yeah, there was a lot of steps that led up to that. Uh, The first one, as far as I can recall, I was seven years old. I walked into a building in Manhattan. I grew up in New York City. And uh, the people in in this large room in the lobby were doing a CPR class. And it just, it caught my attention. A whole bunch of people leaning over, you know, what looked like a woman with no arms and no legs and pushing into her body and breathing into her face. And I I was like, what are they doing to her? And uh, someone explained to me that for somebody, when they have, you have a heart that pumps blood around your body, and you have lungs that, that breathe in and out uh, gases like oxygen and carbon dioxide that you need to live, and you breathe that oxygen in and you're with your lungs and your heart pumps it throughout your body, if they stop working, that you could use your body to help somebody else to sort of serve the role of their lungs or to serve the role of their heart with your with your own breath or with your hands. And uh, it, it had this crazy impact on me, the fact that you could use your body to help somebody else in that way, to save their life that way, and be their heart and lungs for a little while. Um, I think maybe a couple of years later, I took my first CPR class for myself, and I was just in love with the whole idea. So eventually I did first aid and then responding to emergencies and lifeguard training. By the time I was 17, I was sure I wanted to do something in healthcare. I wanted to be a doctor. And I took the emergency medical training 
class. And by the time I was 18, I became New York State certified EMT and started working in ambulances and emergency rooms. I was just in love with the whole thing. And so I was well on my way towards this career in medicine. When I was 19, my father suddenly passed away from a heart issue that was partially fueled by a medical mix-up. And it it made me take a a big pause, a little step back from drugs and surgery as being the first line of healthcare. So I took some time to explore different alternatives, different types of complementary medicine. I looked at so many different modalities and I read up on them and the principles behind how they work and actually how they're carried out. And I fell in love with this combination of chiropractic and massage you have a musculoskeletal system and massage mostly addresses the muscular side, the muscles, ligaments, and tendons, and the chiropractic addresses the skeletal side where bones come together and protect nerves. And mixing the two of them together just in my mind felt like the peanut butter and chocolate of holistic healthcare. And, uh, I just, I, I wanted that. So, um, I got married pretty young. My wife was determined to become a psychologist And so we looked for a place where we could find schools that we both liked. And we went to Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, I went to massage and chiropractic school separately. She did her psychology training. By the end of grad school, we thought this might be a great time to have a baby. Um, And so we followed the instructions, but sadly, no baby came out. And uh, we ended up on this long medical fertility journey, trying everything under the sun to have a baby together. And uh, after a few years uh, of exhaustive fertility treatments, they were baffled. The doctors didn't know why we were not getting pregnant and or being able to sustain a pregnancy, and they had nothing else to offer. So they said, you know, sadly, we think you're not going to be able to do this the way you thought. You're probably going to have to find an alternative pathway to parenthood like adoption or maybe embryo donation or something like that. We were totally broken though. We, I mean, we financially were absolutely broke. Our relationship was on the rocks. We were each individually broken people. And so we couldn't even begin to explore parenthood at all. So we just took some time to improve our own health, um, physically, spiritually, mentally, Um, We started to do things like Chinese medicine. We went for these beautifully long bike rides. We were living in Nebraska at the time, and they have miles and miles of beautiful groomed bike trails. We were eating better. We were able to work without spending all our money on fertility treatments. Things were starting to look up, and less than a year later, we were ready to just start talking about those alternative pathways to parenthood. But we didn't get to talk too long because we found out that we were pregnant. And uh, we had our first little guy. And uh, every two years, another baby came out. It's like we couldn't turn it off once it got going. Uh, So now, thankfully, we have four beautiful kids. And when we moved to Los Angeles, we decided to open up a practice that would be focused on mind and body, the power of mind and body together, my wife and I, um, with an emphasis on or an eye on boosting natural fertility knowing that there's things that you can do naturally to help improve your whatever fertility you've got, we could maximize it. In the first uh, year, we had a couple of babies come through that program. And then every year after that, just snowballed more and more babies. And that's how we ended up doing prenatal care. Wow, that's the best story. And I, I love that it ended in you having four 
beautiful kids and you know now you can go on to help other people have babies so I, I guess let's start with what you just mentioned and that's boosting your fertility naturally can we get into that a little bit yeah I think that the body um, has times where it's naturally more or less fertile but then also phases and states in which it's naturally more or less fertile. So for example, if you look at the nervous system, there's a lot of different ways to break it down. Um, you have the central nervous system, which is the brain and spinal cord versus the peripheral nervous system. Those are all the nerves that run to other parts of your body. But you also have the part of the nervous system that's automatic, it's the autonomic nervous system, and the part of the nervous system that's voluntary. So that's another way to break it down. Voluntary nervous system are mostly skeletal muscles. They're things that you can think about and you can control. I wanna walk, I wanna move, I wanna dance, I wanna do Zumba, I wanna talk. Any of these different things that you have to move skeletal muscles to achieve, you could think about that and you could do it and it's voluntary. The autonomic nervous system is really on autopilot and it responds to stimuli that are around you or sometimes that are inside you. So if you can picture yourself sitting by the pool in the backyard, maybe quiet, alone, private, under the beautiful sun, perfect weather, not too hot, not too cold, not too humid, and you're maybe enjoying a drink that you like and reading a book that you like, your body's just in a very relaxed state. So that autonomic nervous system is further broken down into an emergency mode and a relaxation mode. And it's the, they're called the sympathetic and parasympathetic modes of operation. We actually just call them sympathetic nervous system and parasympathetic nervous system, but it's really different modes of operation of the automatic nervous system. And so when you're sitting there peacefully reading and enjoying, the organs that are controlled by the autonomic nervous system are very predictable what they're going to do. Your heartbeat is a little slower. Your breathing is slow and long and relaxed. Your body, if anything, is storing up sugar that's in your bloodstream. If all of a sudden there's a rustling in the leaves and then you see this mountain lion coming to attack you, you don't have to think about what to do. It's automatic. It, instantly the autonomic nervous system kicks in and your heart starts pounding and your breathing becomes a, a lot more intense and your pupils your eyes dilate so you could see that battlefield everything that you need to do to survive either to run away from the threat or to fight it to the death and for your survival and so you start breaking down sugar at the liver and, and the really pumping sugar and oxygen in huge quantities. You release uh, hormones that are emergency hormones that kind of give you superhuman strength for a minute. Those things all happen when you're responding to stressful stimuli. But if you're having that response all the time, or if you're having that response, even it's not all or nothing. If you're having a, even a mild response like that, when there are no tigers chasing you when there's no stressful stimuli on the outside, then you're having those reactions in the body all the time. And when you're in that mode, your body kind of says, this is not a great time. You know, your digestive system becomes less specific. Sometimes it just purges. Like if you're, if you feel sudden fear, like you're in danger, everything sometimes just comes out and then it doesn't have to think about it for a while. And the reproductive system is the same way. Your body takes emphasis away from the reproductive system. So if you're being chased by a tiger, your body essentially says, this is not a great time to have a, a donut and it's not a great time to have a baby. We're in emergency mode. We need to preserve our resources for survival. A lot of people are in that mode all the time. 
And um, maybe it's from not external stimuli, but internal stimuli. Maybe we're stressed by different things and your body reacts to that stress by putting you in a mild sympathetic response all the time. And uh, actually that's something that I see too, because when that happens, blood flow moves away from your core muscles and your postural muscles and it's shunted into your arms and legs so that you can run and fight. When that happens in the short term, it's fine. That's survival. But when it happens over an extended period of time, then those muscles in the neck and shoulders and low back and hips start to become a little bit hypoxic. They don't have as much oxygen as they should, and they become really stiff and painful. And so they that's how they oftentimes come see a chiropractor. If there are things that we can do to reverse the sympathetic, to kind of change the thermostat on that autonomic nervous system and make it more parasympathetic, more away from the fight or flight sympathetic mode to the what they call feed and breed parasympathetic mode, then you just naturally end up in a more fertile state. And there's lots of things you can do to get there. Massage, uh, there's different techniques in counseling like biofeedback that can help you get there. Trauma processing that can help you get there. Craniosacral therapy can help you get there. Meditation, which is something you do on your own anywhere, anytime, can help you get there. Better nutrition can help you get there. And Chinese medicine, there's a lot of different modalities and, and things that you can do to change that thermostat and all of a sudden naturally be in a more fertile state. Yeah. So do you think overall it has to do with lowering your stress? Like it sounds like that's the first thing that if you're in a stressful state that it's very hard to conceive. Yeah, I think that we all have a stress reservoir and there's a certain amount of stress we can hold on to before the body shifts over into that fight or flight mode. Now, some people, even under a lot of stress, are very good at processing that stress and either isolating it inside so it's not affecting them or venting it out. So you can have a lot of stress coming in and a lot of stress going out and the reservoir doesn't fill up too much. But other people don't have outlets where they get rid of stress. They only take it in. And even then, so when you're not under a lot of stress, and it could be even good things that are happening in your life, but they're stressful because transitions are stressful. A new job, a move, a new child, a wedding, those kind of things. They sometimes, if you're not good at getting the stress out, even small amounts just build up and start to trigger the sympathetic nervous system. So it's not necessarily how much stress you're under, but I think that combined with how you how you process it and how you vent it out. Yeah, I know for me, if I'm stressed or if I have anxiety, I have to immediately take action. Otherwise, it's not going to be good for me. But as you said, like doing a meditation at home, taking 10 minutes to do like the Headspace app, going on a walk. I know for me, I love just like clearing my head, going for like an hour long walk without my phone or even just like sitting and, and like reading and having a cup of tea. I feel like it can be an, as easy as that. Yeah. I mean, there's so many different ways, and a lot of them are things that you can do on your own at home, and some of them are modalities that are done with you or for you. So when a woman comes into your office and she's pregnant, what's the most common problem that you see? I would say sciatica. As we see several cases a day of sciatica. So uh, the sciatic nerve starts in the lower back, the last couple of vertebrae. Between every two vertebrae, nerve root comes out and travels to different places of the body to either bring information or sensation or innervation to a muscle so that, you know, you have power to move those muscles. And so the sciatic nerve starts in the lower three nerves that come out of the lumbar spine, and they band together to form this really thick, long nerve that goes all the way down the leg, uh, first in the back through like the glute and hamstring, then 
by the knee, it kind of crosses more towards the front, down the front of the leg into the toes. So irritation or compression of the sciatic nerve is called sciatica. And it's a long nerve. You can compress it at different areas. Classic sciatica is where it's being compressed at the nerve root, where the nerve forms. And that goes all the way down the leg. And since it's both a motor nerve and a sensory nerve, it can cause sensory problems like pain or numbness and tingling or it can cause motor issues like the muscle becomes unstable and unreliable or both sometimes you're unfortunately of both during pregnancy that's not the kind of sciatica we normally see we see it a little bit lower down where the nerves getting trapped in the upper glute muscle and the upper buttock maybe from sleeping on the hip if you're not used to sleeping on your side or from sleeping on your side with extra weight that muscle, that piriformis muscle deep in the glute gets tight and compresses the sciatic nerve. And then you feel irritation of the sciatic nerve, but it's just the outer bundle of the nerve. So you, you don't feel it going all the way down the leg. You feel it locally. And it could be really intense. Nerve pain is very intense. Luckily, it's something that responds really well to the treatments that we do. But it's uh, for sure the number one thing that we see. And for someone who doesn't have access to you, is there a preventative measure that women can take at home? To prevent that, the moving to California is the uh, is the best measure. Um, there are things you can do at home. So essentially, it's caused by a tight muscle compressing a nerve. So anything that helps loosen muscles. Now you got to be careful because sometimes you have another condition with the sacroiliac joint, which is very nearby where your sacrum meets your ilium, where the foundation of your spine meets your hip bone, can become inflamed. And the things that are good to help muscles that are too tight loosen up sometimes irritate inflammation. So, for example, heat is good for tight muscles, but makes inflammation worse. So you got to be a little careful with what you're doing. But if it is the tight muscle, then stretching, yoga, warm bath, uh, warm bath with Epsom salt, maybe even better, rolling on a ball gently, like a tennis ball or a lacrosse ball. Uh, those are all things that can help loosen up that muscle. Hydration, sometimes you get dehydrated and the muscles get tight. Mineralization, especially calcium and magnesium. If the baby's taking all your minerals to make bones and cartilage, then you might end up with a lower supply in your bloodstream. And so the muscles need that those minerals to relax after they contract. And if they don't have it, they might just become so tight that they go into spasm. So taking minerals sometimes is healthy as well, is helpful as well. And are there any foods, like nutritious foods that you recommend for that? Yeah, nuts um, and some uh, dairy can be helpful, uh, green leafy vegetables. But, um, and, and so not everybody needs to take a supplement, but during pregnancy, it's not uncommon to start running low. So supplementation can be helpful. And then for my vegan friends who are listening, I know you just mentioned dairy. Is there an alternative? I mean, the other things, all the other things, uh, the nuts and the green leafies are also high in content and are, are vegan. Yeah, that's really good to know. Um, so you're not just in your chiropractic office. You're also attending births of these women that you help. So can you talk about that a little and, and what your role is there? Yeah, so, uh, you know, we started with fertility, as I mentioned earlier, as more and more of our patients became pregnant and we had our own kids, there was a sort of a push from our patients to do prenatal care. In chiropractic school, at least when I went to chiropractic school, there wasn't too much talk about pregnancy. 
they just treated it like anybody else who's pregnant, except there was a whole list of don'ts. You know, don't touch this, don't do that, don't use this maneuver, too much force over here. There was never anything like, you know, what can you do for somebody during pregnancy? Um, And so it makes a lot of people nervous to work on pregnant people. There's just generally more liability involved. And uh, a lot of chiropractors at the time didn't want to, including me. I was like, I don't know. I'm not sure how I can help you best. But um, they they pushed. They said, no, you 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 helped us into this situation. You've got to help us through it. And so I did a lot of homework talking to other people around the country, doctors who were doing prenatal care and learning from them as much as I could. And um, I felt confident that I could I could help pregnant people without harming them. And uh, once I started doing prenatal care, the floodgates opened. I just other chiropractors who didn't want to work on pregnant people sent their clients here. Um, doulas and midwives and doctors sent their clients here. So I just started doing this volume of pregnancy. And the more you do, the more you learn. And so I started to really find, you know, what are the most common things that are coming up? And over time, what are some of the things underlying causes of those symptoms? And what kind of treatments are effective? at alleviating them. And uh, I also really became knowledgeable through questions from patients and kind of going on the journey with them about different topics that come up and choices that you have to make during pregnancy, during childbirth, postpartum, early parenting. And the more I would be asked questions that I didn't know anything about, the more I would do research. And, And as I would find answers, I would, instead of having the conversation over and over again, I'd start to write articles, which became a blog and eventually a magazine uh, that we called Informed Pregnancy, the Informed Pregnancy Guide. And after seven years of publishing the magazine, we kind of shifted over to a podcast that became the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. And I still constantly, every week, uh, explore a different topic, meet with an expert, uh, talk to somebody about their birth experience. And it's a never-ending learning process. There's a lot of body work that we do that is meant to help the body get ready, become as functional as possible for the pregnancy, for labor and delivery, and for helping a baby to find the ideal position naturally. If there's a lot of tension and restriction, then you know it could perhaps make the job harder where the baby's trying to move and the body's resisting that movement. If we can release that dysfunction and help the body be more accommodating, that presumably makes things easier. And so a lot of people come in when their babies are not in great positions or if they're towards the delivery date or beyond it and the baby's not sinking down into the pelvis, they come in for some release where we dig through those tight muscles and tendons with body work, massage, and we do adjustments to get the joints moving better. And uh, oftentimes they see a result that they want, a baby that'll drop or rotate into a better position or turn in from a breech position to a head down position. And uh, one day on a Sunday, I was in the pet store with my family trying really hard not to buy this guinea pig. And uh, I got a call from a midwife and she said, you know how you help with positioning? You sometimes do things and the breech babies move down. Could you help with a baby that's posterior where the skull, the hard part of the baby head is against the mom's spine or sacrum or her lumbar spine? And, you know, it's not ideal to those contractions when those bones press against each other um, famously create back labor, which is uh, this pressure pain in the lower back um, that can be really intense at times. And um, I said, I don't, I don't know. I don't, 
presumably it's the same thing. We're just, you know, I would do the same thing. I would just loosen up dysfunction and, and try to get the soft tissues more functional and adjust and try to get the joints more functional. She said, great. I have somebody for you. And I said, Oh, great. I can have an opening on Tuesday. She's like, no, no, no. Right now we're in the middle of this long labor and this baby's been stuck for hours at nine centimeters and won't drop down. And it's in this posterior position. Could you come over right now and help us out? And I was like, sure. I, this way I don't have to buy that guinea pig. So I went over there. It was very awkward going into a birth for the first time of somebody that wasn't my, you know, my own kid being born. <laughs> uh, people I'd never met before and they'd been in labor for a long time. But uh, long story short, you know, I did a, a good amount of body work, maybe an hour and a half or two hours of body work and things just got looser and looser and looser. And eventually that baby just clunked into place and came right out. And after that happened, I just, the story sort of got out. Those people were filmmakers. They have a popular blog that she wrote about the story. Some of the people there talked about it. And I just started getting called into births left and right when things were going off. Like if there was back labor, could I help alleviate the back labor? If a baby's not rotated well, can I help the body become more functional and, and maybe create a situation where the baby could move better into a better position? If the labor was stalled, are there any things that we can do to help bring it back on? Eventually, somebody called. I, would, I couldn't always make it, but I would go sometimes two, three, four hours to a birth. And eventually, somebody called and asked if I can do body work at her birth pre-planned. And I said, I've never done that before. I've only gone when something's wrong. She's like, well, why do I have to wait for something to go wrong? And I couldn't really answer that question. So we did it, and it was kind of cool to watch her be, you know, kind of tense at the beginning and just fighting and, and afraid and fighting her labor. And then with body work, she responded really well to body work. She just became really calm and confident and was able to relax into her surges and, and feel that they were not overwhelming her, that they were stronger than she was used to, but not more than she can handle. It's just really cool to see that transition and to see her find her confidence and really letting the labor move through her like she was a lightning rod. After doing that a few times, I just felt like I ended up at births where there was nobody there for one reason or another. Like, you know, if I got into a birth that had been going on for a long time, then maybe the partner and, and midwife would go take a nap or take a break while I was working with her and things would start to pick up and she'd look back at me, you know, for some help or advice, like say something. And I'm like, I don't know. I just rub things and crack stuff. I'm not a doula. <laughs> And um, after saying that a few times, I realized it would probably be helpful to know more. And so I talked to my wife. I said, I think I want to do doula training. So I'm better equipped to handle some of the situations that come up at these births. And she said, great, I'll do it with you. And so we both became doulas. After that, again, the floodgates open. I was running to a lot of births. Now I don't do doula work. I, I just do body work. And, you know, it's not right for everyone, but for the people it is right for, it tends to be really perfect. And so they call it, you know, 24-7 when they feel like having some firm pressure would be helpful. And uh, I'll go for as long or as little as they want. And it usually works out really great. So at what point, this is just a side note, at what point did celebrity clients start seeking you out? I think that if you live in Los Angeles and you are good at what you do, eventually you're going to see high profile people. And oftentimes they're just well connected. I mean, connected to each other. 
So if you're doing a good job, just like anybody else would say to their friend, uh, you know, oh, I have a great chiropractor for you. So they would say that to their friends, but their friends are other notable people. And so, you know, over time, that just grows and you start to see a clientele of, of recognizable faces. For me, a lot of them have been that not only do they like the care here, but they like our podcast. And if they got something out of our podcast that helped empower them during their pregnancy or during their birth or afterwards, then they often don't mind sharing their own story. So many, many of them have appeared on our podcast as well. Yeah, I know you had um, Amy Schumer on your podcast, and she had a very difficult pregnancy. Can you speak a little bit to that? Because she dealt with something that a lot of women deal with, and maybe they don't hear about. Yeah, so um, Amy, actually, I I didn't know her personally at all. She's in New York, and um, there's this condition called hyperemesis gravidarum. It's um, a form of nausea and vomiting during pregnancy, but it's very extreme. It has characterizations uh, like weight loss instead of weight gain during pregnancy, vomiting a certain amount of times. You know, there's actually an app that uh, that they created where you can put your symptoms into it. And, you know, based on what you're putting in there, they tell you, is this kind of more run-of-the-mill nausea and vomiting or is this something that should have earlier attention, medical attention? And I didn't realize because a lot of the people who have it literally can't get off the bed and go anywhere. I didn't realize the cases of it that I was seeing in my office are actually fairly mild because they're people who could get out and go see the chiropractor. And the more I found out about hyperemesis, the more I realized it's it's really a, an insanely debilitating condition. I had heard that Amy had it. She was fairly open about it during her pregnancy. And I thought I could just bring an expert on to talk about it and we'd get some information out there. Or I could bring somebody who's got a large following and talk about it and get even more information out there because there wasn't enough. A lot of people confuse it. Women themselves confuse it with um, nausea, just, oh, that must be morning sickness. Um, even if they realize that it's more than that, sometimes um, partners don't understand it. They're like, just, you know, why are you being like this? Other people get nausea and vomiting. And they just deal with it. Employers, coworkers. I felt like it needed to broadcast that message to as large an audience as I could. So I looked for connections and uh, as soon as, a friend of mine reached out to Amy. She immediately said, yes, I'd be happy to help in any way. And so we went to New York. My wife and I went to New York to interview her at her home. It was really lovely. And um, her story was very powerful, just mind-boggling. I think she said she had 60 IV infusions during her pregnancy, six zero IV infusions to keep herself hydrated and have enough nutrition so that she and the baby can thrive. And then I made kind of a promise that I would try to assemble experts who have the most up-to-date information on this condition, what we know about it, who's susceptible to it, what's going on that causes it, any kind of remedies or, or things that you can do to stay more comfortable or healthy during it. And we did that. We put together three very powerful experts, and we did that episode on hyperemesis as well. So, you know, that's, it's kind of, for me, that's where this journey is going, learning new things all the time and trying to take that information, deliver it in a way that's really 
digestible for people, easy to understand and listen to and learn from, and then they can be empowered to make decisions for themselves that they couldn't without the information. It's great that you shed light on that because I'm sure so many women listening to her could relate to what she went through. I have a few more questions for you that I for sure want to ask. And that's, I mean, you've now been to so many births, countless births, I bet. What is your opinion on like a hospital birth versus at home versus a water birth versus a birthing center? I think that out of everything I've learned, uh, you know, I've been to many births, but I've also been through thousands and thousands of pregnancy journeys with people, even if I don't go to their birth, I see them during pregnancy and then afterwards. And a lot of our episodes on our podcast are before and after episodes. We interview somebody before they go into labor on how the pregnancy has been and what they're planning for at their birth and how it went on the other side. In that sense, I think one of the most powerful before and after episodes we have is Hilary Duff. Right before and after she has her second baby, her first baby was a, was a hospital birth, a medicated hospital birth, and she had a good experience with it. But things changed between the first and second pregnancy. And at the second pregnancy, she thought to herself, what if the most insanely bonded I could be to my child, the experience of presence that I can have with my child is birth, but I'm terrified of it, so I numb myself to the whole thing. And she thought, I might try to do the second one unmedicated. And then after seeing the Business of Being Born documentary, she felt like, if I do it at the hospital, I'm going to fold and get the drugs. Uh, If I really want to do this, I should do it at home. And she just interviewed a bunch of different midwives until she found midwives that she really connected with and felt safe with. And I interviewed her 10 days before she went into that birth and 10 days afterwards. And it's really powerful to hear how she thought things would be, what she thought would be comforting to her or effective and helpful and what she thought wouldn't be, and then how things actually went down. She had a good experience at home as well. So in terms of that spectrum of home birth and hospital birth, medicated and unmedicated, that's a really good episode um, to listen to. But generally, my feeling is that somebody really should give birth where they feel safe. And a lot of people feel safe giving birth at the hospital. And a lot of people feel safe giving birth out of a hospital, either at a birthing center or at home. And um, that's the number one thing. Uh, the number two thing is no matter where you give birth is surrounding yourself with providers who you, you see eye to eye with, that you're on the same page with. First of all, just all of us as providers have a chemistry and you have a chemistry as a patient, and a chemistry could be a great chemistry to work together, or it could be that the chemistries don't work well together. It doesn't mean you're not a great patient or I'm not a great doctor. It just means we're not a great match. And I think that it's really important that once you pick your setting, you also pick your provider and put some effort into that. If you're going to give birth at a hospital, but you want a natural birth, you want something unmedicated or less interventive, those two things don't naturally go together that much. Hospitals tend to be more, you know, interventive. But there are doctors in hospitals who are more or less conservative or maybe just very flexible. Maybe they don't have an agenda and they accommodate whatever it is that you're looking for. Some people want a much more interventive birth. They want they want drugs right away or other interventions. They want to be induced. Um, and maybe your doctor doesn't do inductions unless they're clinically indicated. So it's really important to find providers the same with midwives, a provider that makes you feel really safe and comfortable and confident and on the same page as you. 
in order to have a good experience. You know, you can't control birth. It just sort of happens. You can plan for a lot of things, but once the ball's rolling, you sort of have to roll with it. But if you have a provider who has an agenda that's different than yours, you might regret it later. You might feel like you were pushed into their agenda versus them meeting yours. So as long as your agenda is, you know, considered within the realm of safety, if you have a provider who is on the same page as you, then you end up having a good experience. Even if the birth goes a different way than you wanted to, you know that they tried everything they can do to help you have a safe, healthy birth the way you wanted to. And I know for me, I mean, I am not a mother yet. I have, I don't have any kids, but I think in anything, just especially when it comes to your health and in the medical space to speak up for yourself and be an advocate for yourself, especially when it comes to being pregnant and, and having a child just being your own advocate and, and your partner advocating for you too, I think is something that's invaluable and, and trusting your gut. I'm sure you talk to a lot of women who, who just, you know, they don't know why they made a decision, but they had a gut instinct about why they did what they did and, and why they made the decisions they made. Yeah, absolutely. Let's say someone decides to have a home birth. Who should be there with them? Like, is it a doula? Is it a midwife? Is it three midwives? <laughs> I mean, that's somewhat also of a personal choice. Generally speaking, you know, doulas and midwives sometimes get confused with each other, but they're very, very different from each other. At a birth, you have a medical provider that's either going to be a doctor or a midwife. And then you have other support people that are non-medical providers, and that's where a doula comes in. They provide a lot of things, education, empowerment through knowledge, information, sometimes advocacy, sometimes comfort measures, but they're not medical people. Midwives go through much more extensive training, and for a low-risk, healthy pregnancy, they're the medical provider for the pregnancy, for the birth, for the early postpartum, and for even the baby when they first come out, the initial screening and care of the newborn. So at a home birth or an out-of-hospital birth, in California, there's actually a couple of, at least in my area, there's a couple of OBs who do home birth, but much more typically you would have a midwife. And a midwife usually comes with an assistant, which could be another midwife or just a midwife assistant, somebody who is doula-like but more trained and more skillful than that. And that's important because when the baby comes out, there's actually, there's going to be two patients. There's a mother and a newborn that could both need things at the same time. Outside of your midwife or OB um, at a home birth and perhaps their assistant, it's really up to an individual choice. Some people just want a birth alone or just with their partner. Some people want other types of support. I was at a birth recently. I think there were eight people on the support team. So she had her midwife and midwife assistant. She had her doula. She had me doing body work. She had a birth photographer. Um, and then also her partner was there, her mother was there, and her daughter was there. This was the second birth for her. So it was a pretty full house. But I got to tell you, at that particular birth, everyone served a very specific purpose. We all felt like pieces of a puzzle and she knew exactly what she wanted and what she needed to have around her and she got it because she brought that big team together i know at other births you know um, that many people would just be uncomfortable for the laboring person and so i i know other births where you know they just literally will have a midwife and towards the end the midwife assistant and their partner and that's it anybody else would just make it would make it not as good. So where sometimes less is more. And that's just a very personal choice. And are you seeing now people bringing their midwives to a hospital birth? So there's this other option called the monitrice. In Los Angeles, and it's different 
from place to place. In Los Angeles, we have some midwives that have hospital privileges. So there's one hospital that has a midwifery group with several midwives. They always have midwives on call at the hospital and you do all your prenatal visits with a midwife and it's a nice option for people. Another hospital has one midwife who they've given privileges to, to have a private practice there. So she kind of acts like an OB, you do all your visits with her during the pregnancy. When you're in labor, she meets you at the hospital. Um, and it gives different options because, you know, if you do need interventions or want interventions, she's able to oversee them and manage them even though you're at the hospital. Whereas at home, we can't do that. Um, another option that people have is called uh, monotrice, where you have, instead of a doula who has no medical training and, and scope, or in addition to a doula, you labor at home with a midwife, but you're not planning to deliver at home. So the midwife is there to sort of monitor things. That's why they call them a monotrice. They can monitor the baby's heart rate, make sure things are going really well. They can monitor the mother's vital signs, the laboring person's vital signs, make sure that her body's handling it well. They can monitor the cervix and make sure that the changes are what we think they are. So you don't end up at the hospital thinking you're nine centimeters, but you're only one or two. And then up until pandemic, they could usually come with you to the hospital. Once they get to the hospital, they're no longer serving a medical role because they typically don't have privileges at the hospital, but they become more like a doula, a doula plus where they're, um, and the plus part is just because they have more of a clinical understanding of any kind of tests that are being done or monitoring that's being done or interventions that they want to do. So oftentimes they have a, a deeper understanding of those and can, can guide you in a way that's a little more advanced than a doula. Sometimes the doulas are really, really knowledgeable about that as well. So um, in that case, the midwife could come with you to the hospital, but they, they stop being medical providers once you get into the hospital. Got it. I guess just overall, like you have to do what works for you in the end. And, you know, I think also no matter what you do, you're going to receive some kind of judgment because everyone thinks they're an expert and, you know, you have the pregnancy police out there. So I think in the end, you just have to do what works for you and do what feels right and trust your gut and do your research, listen to podcasts like yours and really just be your own advocate. I have one last question before we kind of wrap things up, which is kind of a hot topic right now, and that is eating your placenta. <laughs> uh, so I also do stand-up comedy in my free time, and uh, I just did a whole bit about eating your placenta. The truth is I don't know. I haven't seen any definitive real studies that show that it's helpful or that it's harmful. Anecdotally, it seems to be helpful. I do know a lot of people who eat their placenta. Usually they powder it and put it in capsules. Uh, some people uh, freeze chunks of it and then put it into a smoothie. You know, they'll freeze it into an ice cube and put it into a smoothie. Delicious. Um, I was actually at a birth where they're very, very holistic and eat very healthy. Um, him more than her. I mean, they both do, but he's even more extreme than her. And so right after her birth, he made her a smoothie with a chunk of the placenta that they just cut off fresh. And, um, you know, usually when they do that, it's like your favorite things. So like, I don't know, strawberry, nut butter, just really good flavoring, al almond milk. He put in only greens, not even an apple. <laughs> and so, you know, when she took a sip of it, she said something I never thought you'd hear anybody say about a smoothie. She's like, ew, it's, 
it's so gamey. <laughs> I'm like, oh, a, a gamey smoothie. So there's a lot of different ways to consume it. Anecdotally, I you know I see what looks like anecdotal evidence that it helps with um, the transition, you know, down from pregnancy to postpartum, in terms of an emotional stabilization, mental health wise, or with milk production. It seems like sometimes people are slow on their milk production, and then all of a sudden they take the placenta and they can produce more milk. But I don't know. It's just anecdotal. I haven't seen really anything about harm. I saw maybe one one case where they, they were concerned she might have gotten an infection from a placenta that had an infection, chorioamnionitis, during the pregnancy. But I generally think it's it's probably, based on what I've seen, really safe to consume it and might have health benefits. Yeah, that's really interesting. Well, I know I am going to be putting my husband on uh placenta smoothie duty when that when that time comes <laughs> um yeah. word of advice put in an apple <laughs> so funny maybe a little uh, frozen like pineapple or frozen mango yes, or please. something yeah okay so now i'm going to ask you some questions that i ask all of my guests this is just like rapid fire um quick get to know you kind of questions um number one being what would your last meal on earth be it would not be placenta um I'm someone asked me that recently. I'm an extremely not picky eater. I just think whatever you put in front of me would be my last meal. All right, easy enough. What is one thing you can't live without in your morning routine? Uh, it used to be coffee. I got COVID 19 during the coronavirus pandemic. I was in the hospital, I was in the ICU. I thought I was going to die. I, it just was the worst thing. I couldn't breathe at all. And um, after I got out, um, I recovered uh, fully. I made a commitment to do better with my health. And so I went from sleeping five hours a night to seven to eight hours a night. I went from not seeing my family at all to making 6.30 dinner time sacred every night, which I've never missed yet. I've been on the treadmill a lot. And so that coffee would have been my answer for 45 years. But now I think it might be the treadmill my little morning workout. I like that. And I'm so sorry that you had coronavirus and that it was so severe. I mean, it's, it's so scary, but I'm glad that you're healthy and that you're making time for your family and, and taking care of yourself. Thank you. What is something quirky about you? People would be surprised to find out. I was born without facial recognition. Uh, it's called prosopagnosia or face blindness. I have no ability to recognize anybody by their face. Not my wife, my kids, my mother, not even my own face. I can't pick me out of a picture. No way. So, yeah, it, it's pretty quirky. <laughs> so if you, is it something like if you were to look away from your wife and you had to picture her in your head, can you picture her? No, not her face. Wow, that's wild. Her stature, her voice, her mannerisms, but not her face. Uh, if I'm right now, I'm looking at your face on video. Um, I can see it, just like anybody else would see it. I could describe it, but the second I close my eyes, there's zero image. I have no capacity to save what a face looks like. But if you, if you were to see someone you've seen before somewhere, you'd recognize them. No, not by face, never. Oh wow! I can't pick my mother up at the airport. She has to send me a selfie of what she's wearing. Wow. Oh, I could ask you about that all day. That's, <laughs> it's quirky. That's insane. Yeah, it is quirky. Um, if you had to pick one form of exercise to do for the rest of your life, what would it be? In a perfect world, it would probably be swimming. It's not a perfect world because I almost never have the time to invest in swimming or 
or the option to get into a pool that's as i'm getting older i like a warmer pool but um in a perfect world i i really like swimming swimming's relaxing especially here in florida like everyone has a pool here (laughs) um what is your favorite grocery store uh i don't even go to the grocery store anymore um because of my insane work schedule i um I, if, if I go to a store, the one that I like going to the most is Trader Joe. Yeah, I love, oh, I love, tra- I, I would like have a sleepover at Trader Joe's. I love it. <laughs> and then last thing is just this rapid fire foodie. Would you rather, um, are you ready? Okay. Okay. Fire away. Okay. Peanut butter or almond butter? Ooh, peanut butter. Pasta or pizza? Pizza. Cookies or brownies? Damn you. <laughs> <laughs> uh cookies spinach or kale spinach pancakes or waffles waffles smoothie or juice smoothie hot fudge or caramel caramel lemon or lime lime hummus or guacamole guacamole pesto or marinara sauce pesto yeah, I love pesto. No, that's it. That's <laughs> that's rapid fire. Would you rather? Thank you so much for being on the podcast. This was so informative. I, I could sit here and ask you so many more questions. But you know, sometime in the future, I'd love to have you on again to ask more. And maybe one day when I'm pregnant, I'll have to make a trip out to California to meet you and experience what you do best. So oh, I'll be ready. And um, I just want to say thank you for having me. And thank you for the incredible work that you're doing. The recipes that I look at, by the way, are just super tempting to me, and I'm, I'm not even vegetarian. So you do have an interesting way of making food look good and fun, and uh, I appreciate that. Oh, well, thank you. And where can everyone find you on social media? I am at Dr. Berlin, D-O-C-T-O-R-B-E-R-L-I-N, mostly on Instagram and also Twitter, and uh, informedpregnancy.com. Perfect. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe, and we'll see you next time. I'm